Yeah, I'm glad you're here. Um, so we're always uh, trying to figure out uh, different levels and different aspects of what uh, joy is and what uh, the role of simcha, simcha, and they're actually different words, uh, by the way, for for happiness and and uh, and joy and things like that in in the Torah, and and every single word. Uh, indicates a different level of it. And then, of course, each, each word itself has different levels to it as well. Just to give you an example, um, two, two words that uh, seemingly say the same thing, bless you, but are, but are different, are uh, simcha and oneg. So simcha, um, the way Reb Shlomo uh, Karlobach translated it, simcha is joy and oneg is bliss. And incidentally, we, we, we've got these um, different words assigned to different aspects of the holidays. So, for instance, we have something called Simchas Yantif, which would mean the, um, the joy connected with, um, with the various holidays like, like Pesach, Passover, or Sukkot, like that. So, and by the way, just as a side note off of that, one of the 613 commandments is to actually be happy on a Yantif. Now, how you actually experience happiness in terms of its um, halachic uh, parameters is is that's that's another discussion. What 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 what's the actual definition of happiness? But we'll leave that aside for a moment. But like for instance, some of these holidays are eight days long, and the Vilna Gaon, one of the greatest masters of Torah, said that of all the six hundred and thirteen commandments, this was the hardest one for him to fulfill. To be uninterrupted simcha for this eight-day-long period, you know. So, so that's that, that's that's very striking. But anyway, so but this idea that simcha siyantiv, that simcha, this particular form of happiness is um, is associated with the with the holidays. But then you have something else called oneg shabbos. So oneg shabbos would be translated as the bliss of shabbos. So what's what what is that you know and and in many congregations and things like that Friday night they'll they'll have a gathering and they'll call that in an oneg shabbos quote unquote which means uh, you know like a festive gathering or something like that but it's deeper than that it's it's the bliss of of the experience of shabbos itself so um, Reb Shlomo said in the name of the Ishvitzer that the difference between oneg bliss and simcha joy. Remember, bliss is associated with, with, with Shabbos, with the seventh day. So, so Rav Shlomo says in the name of the Ishvitzer that, that joy is when God gives you something that you didn't have before. Bliss is when God shows you what it is that you've had all along. So that's a much deeper, much deeper level of satisfaction. See, bliss is associated with Shabbos because on Shabbos, you sort of remove yourself from the hustle and bustle, from the rat race, if you will, and you're in this sort of, what I like to call fortress Shabbos. You're in this sort of protected time-space oasis. And you're given the eyes to see what it is that you actually have. And that's a much deeper level of satisfaction. You know... You know, it's almost the difference between everything's going to be okay and everything is okay. <laughs> you know? Like you receive something you didn't have before. Okay, everything's going to be okay. Or, you know something? Everything was always okay. I just didn't have the eyes to see it. So Shabbos is a very 
deeply rooted form of contentment. And um, those of us who haven't really experienced Shabbos yet, it um, takes a little getting used to because there are all sorts of uh, there are all sorts of things you, you, you can do and you can't do and all the rest. And in the very beginning of the process, uh, it's very easy to get uh, tripped up and over involved with the rules of it. You know, I remember when I first started going through it, it's sort of like I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do this and I can't do that. And then I realized, you mean I get to do nothing? <laughs> and it was like a, a revelation, you know. Um, so it's a different rhythm. But once you become attuned to that rhythm, then you realize how, uh, how redemptive it is. It's, uh, and then you, you can't live without it. It's, uh, it's extraordinary, actually. Um, so, so I just uh, bring that up as an introduction to show you that within the within the words in the Torah for happiness or joy or whatever it is, there are different nuances and everything is touching on, on, on different things. So, so especially in, in this day and age, um, the, the whole idea of happiness itself has been, is being taken more and more seriously. See, people, and I'm talking about by the secular academic world, and a whole uh, field of psychology, it's, it's called positive, positive psychology, has been dedicated, and now this is a legitimate field, and it's, it's being taught in universities. In fact, it's, as of last year or two years ago, it was the most uh, highly attended class at, at Harvard University. So it's, it's, it's actually become a, a very legitimate, prized field of study, because people figured out something uh, which they were very, very slow to figure out which is, you can have all the things in the world that you want, but if you're not happy, it's not very useful. And it's, it's, I guess it took the richest, most materialistic, laden era in probably the history of human civilization to bring home this point that I have everything and I have nothing. You know, they finally got through that, wait a second, maybe, maybe I'm not happy because there's one more thing that I need. And you know, I mean, it's almost, it went to the, almost to the, it almost went to the, the height of absurdity with, um, to me, I mean, this is already maybe a dated reference, but to me with the sharper image catalog, right? Mm-hmm. Things that you couldn't even imagine that there was a gadget for, there was now a gadget for, you know what I mean? So it's like, when it, it, it went to the most absurd level of, of materialistic attainment. I remember one of the things that I believe Neiman Marcus offered in one of their um, uh, holiday catalogs uh, many years ago. Not, not so many years ago, within this era of, uh, you know, absurdist uh, materialism, was his and her toilets. So, you know, that was like, you know, the ultimate in, in, uh, in couple togetherness, I guess. Or I don't I'm not exactly sure what they had in mind, but... <laughs> Clearly, it was not a bestseller um, <laughs> and didn't take hold. But um, nonetheless, I mean, just just this notion of maybe there's one more thing that I don't have that's the solution to all of my problems. And of course, anyone who's, uh, who's uh, learned a little bit understands that happiness comes from within. And uh, unfortunately, that sounds like a platitude or a cliche, but it's actually more or less the secret to life. Um, that if you are pretty much, you know, at peace with yourself, then 
You know, I, I once heard someone say, uh, it was written somewhere, I don't know where exactly, a man who is at, or a person, you know, who is at peace with their thoughts is never alone. You know, if you have that, that type of inner peace, basically you're, you're going to be okay. Whether you have a lot or a little, God should bless us with all, with all of our needs. We, we, this isn't to say we don't have legitimate needs. We do. And God should bless us with them. But, but nonetheless, um, it, it starts to get very muddy in terms of looking outside for something that's going to um, heal you and fix you and all the rest. Um, so, anyway. So, going on, uh, in this week's Parsha, uh, Parsha's um, uh, Kitavo, we have uh, a very, very interesting structure and perhaps a, I, I'd like to offer a, uh, for me anyway, it was a, a, a new idea, a new approach in happiness and understanding happiness and, and the role that it can play. Um, and uh, just to kind of give an overview of, 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 of Kitavo, what's going on here is it's one of the two places in the entire Torah that you have something called the Tochacha, uh, or also to use another Hebrew word, uh, uh, sort of a, 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 a uh, you know, a gathering of the klalos. And, um, you know, the t- translation for these two words would be, the, basically it's the opposite of blessing. We don't even want to use the English word, but the opposite of blessing. And, and it's sort of like all the, you know, negative, negative consequences that come from certain acts. And, uh, you know, someone was explaining to me something recently. And I thought it was an interesting approach because, you see, you see, we, we tend to think of the, the negative side, like, uh, of these things when, when you read them in, in the context of the Torah. And, um, you know, if you don't follow uh, the, the mitzvahs and the Torah and all the rest, this will happen, or that will happen, or this will happen, and each is worse than the other. And it really colors our opinion of God, and it makes God seem like um, an extremely vindictive force who's uh, waiting to zap us, basically. And um, it's, you know, you know, while certainly my approach and, and the Hasidic approach, and really I think the God's approach, you know, is, is, is that... This is all extremely positive, that the world is good, that the Torah is good, that, that all, of this, all of this is good. Nonetheless, it does a disservice to not mention that these aspects exist in the Torah as well. I mean, one has to be mature and understand that these are there as well, and this is part of the picture as well. However, how are we to understand it exactly? And I think that a, a, a very sane approach to this is to understand it almost, um, almost in a, uh, I'll use this word cautiously, but, but, but it, almost in a scientific way. And what I mean by that is, let's say you take, um, you know, let's say you take, uh, you know, hay, like very dry hay, right? Something that's extremely flammable, right? And then you take a match and you throw the match on the hay you're going to get a conflagration that's going to start a fire. And so the thing is, is that the way Hashem has weaved together all of the different energies in terms of reality, 
God is telling you, if you do this, it's going to impact reality in this negative way. In other words, it's sort of like an FYI. It's a for, you, for your information. If you open that door that has the alarm on it, the alarm is going to go off. Because that is the way God is informing us in advance that he's constructed reality. So, 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 another, so, so with that in mind, you can understand some of the more metaphysical, abstract things. Like, for instance, don't mix linen and wool in the same garment. Somehow those two circuits, when put together, cause something negative to happen. And while these things aren't necessarily clear or obvious to us, and they may even seem like just, I'll never get it, nonetheless, they're very real. And God is informing of these things in advance. Don't mix milk and meat. Don't do that. Don't do that. You are combining energies that are, that are negative, and it, it, they're not clear to your eye, which is why God is saying, that's why I'm telling you not to do it, because you're not going to figure it out on your own. But God is saying, I who composed all of reality, and who have the blueprint in front of me, I'm telling you. I'm telling you for your good. This is what it is. So then, when you have that in mind, you understand, okay, God as opposed to being vindictive, like, oh, I'm just waiting for you to do that. And then I'm going to get you with this. That's not what it is. That's not what it is. God is saying, look, you see that over there? That, you see that thing over there? It looks like a blue sky and you just want to run out into the, into the green field right there. You know what? There is a clear plane of glass there. And if you just run through that, you are going to run through a sheet of glass. You know, and that happens all the time, by the way. That happens all the time. You know, so God's telling you, no, don't, just, there's a plane of glass there. There's a plane of glass there, you know. So, so that's important. Again, in just understanding why all these, well, why, why all these sort of negative things are there. It's not God trying to scare us. It's the, it's the opposite. He's alerting us. Okay. So now, but nonetheless... If you actually read those passages, and especially when they're all clumped together, and there are two different places in the Torah where they're all clumped together, this being one of the, 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 the main uh, headquarters of them, they're quite frightening. They're quite frightening, you know? Um, and you read it, it, it feels like you're reading a description of the Holocaust or whatever it is. I mean, it's, they're quite terrible. Um, and, uh, and anyway... Anyway, so, so interestingly, uh, and this is a beautiful thing, it's a beautiful thing, we're, we're always reading this the week before, the last week before Rosh Hashanah. You know, I didn't mention it yesterday, I felt bad afterwards that I didn't mention it, because this is the main beautiful thing why we're doing this, by the way, why we're reading it before Rosh Hashanah. I, I made the, another point, which is actually the, the lesser point yesterday. It's not the exact week before Rosh Hashanah because the sages didn't want people to get stressed out reading all that negativity right before Rosh Hashanah. It would weigh too heavily on their minds. Okay. But, so they do it the, week be- the second to last week before. But the real reason why they, they made sure that they orchestrated the calendar in such a way that it's always before Rosh Hashanah is to get all of that energy, all that negative energy, out of the way before the new year starts. That's the point. 
That's the point. And that's a very beautiful thing. So in other words, the, the way the, the sages say it is, the year should end with all of its curses. So that, so that it's all done. And then you start fresh. And it's just new, fresh energy coming down. By the way, one of the interesting things is uh, we have um, we have something called uh, Birkat HaChodesh. And um, that's, anyway, at the Happy Minion, for sure, that's always a very great highlight, that prayer. And it's the blessing for the month that's about to happen. And um, the, 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 the Shabbos that we read the blessing over the coming month, that's, that, that's called Shabbos Mavorachim. You know, the Shabbos of blessing, I guess, would be the translation. Anyway, it's the last Shabbos of every month. You, you, you say this special prayer for the month that's about to happen. Okay? And, you, and you, it's a whole string of requests, and it's very wonderful. You're praying for life, and for health, and for money, and for all good things, good life, and Yerushamayim, and all, all sorts of wonderful things. It's a whole laundry list of blessings that you, that you ask for. And it's sung beautifully, and then we dance, and it's all good. Um, anyway, interestingly, the very last Shabbos of the year, when we would say it for the upcoming month, which would be Tishrei, which is the beginning of the new year, you don't say it. You don't say it. So that's an interesting key to understanding something interesting about the nature of light, if you will, and the nature of mazel, and the, the nature of, of the year as it unfolds. So let me make sure we're communicating. You see, the light that comes down on Rosh Hashanah for the new year, that's a new light. That's a brand new light. The world's never seen it before. It's a brand new light. And God custom tailors our year for each of us based on who we have become at that moment. You know, and that's why Elul is so important. The, 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 the weeks and the month leading up to Rosh Hashanah because that's our opportunity to really present ourselves in, in the best possible way before the new year starts. That's, that's the whole work of Elul. So that God says, you know something? You know, you want this job, whatever the job is. You know, whether it's, you want the job as father, you want the job as mother, you want the job as husband, or you want the job as wife, or whatever it is. Or you want the job as, you know, employee at, 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 at X corporation. So, so, you know, you get a chance to present yourself as the most, as the best candidate for that position on Rosh Hashanah. And so, so to give you a very crude um, elementary example, one can either show up for their job at, to be an executive at the Xerox Corporation in blue jeans and a stained t-shirt, or they have a chance to shower and get a haircut and shave and put on a suit so that when they show up for the interview, they really look like the other executives at the corporation. So that's the month of Elul. That's basically... That's basically outfitting yourself and shaping yourself for this interview process, if you will, because you're standing before the judge on Rosh Hashanah. You know, the judge who loves you the most, by the way. You know, that's, that's Rosh Hashanah. And, 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 and that's this great opportunity of Elul to be able to really present yourself in the best way. And of course, nothing speaks louder than actions. 
So if you start doing X and stop doing Y, then that's really, you're really presenting yourself in the best way. Okay? Or the way the Ishpitzer says it, if you're just doing what you've always been doing, you don't need to change anything. You're just doing everything that you've been doing up until now. But now you're doing all the things that you've been doing with all of your heart. You know, then that's, then even that's great because all of us are doing tons of great things. But most of us, myself included, are not doing the good things that we're doing with all of our heart. You know, if you're just actually just really, really doing what you're actually doing, you know, in the best possible way, that in itself is a huge, you know, huge recommendation for all of us. Okay. So, so we still haven't made the point about Shabbos Mavorachim and why we're not blessing the month of Tishrei, the new year, in Elul. You would think, well, wait a second, if any month needs, you know, an extra bit of blessing, that would be the new month of Tishrei, because that's going to be for the new year and everything like that, right? But you see, it doesn't work like that. So this is sort of like uh, divine mechanics right now. You see, the new light comes down on Tishrei, and it filters through the entire year. Like, almost like, uh, I think it was the Kutzka Rebbe gave this example, like a train pulling in from one station to another station to another station. That's the light, so to speak, going from month to month to month. Okay? And then as we're evolving and changing during the year, that's why, you see, there's a question. Why are we making these requests from month to month for livelihood and for health and everything like that? Because wasn't that all determined on Rosh Hashanah? You understand the question? So the point is, is that as the train, as the light travels through the year, and as we evolve in one way or the other, we're sort of renewing our, our requests, and that is being sort of custom fit to us where we are holding during the year. Okay? Ah, but then the train reaches that light, which came down in Rosh Hashanah, reaches the last stop on the, you know, on the train's route, which is Elul. You see, that light was just the light for that year. It can't go to the next year. It can't go to Tishrei. Because on Tishrei, a new light comes down. So we can't pray, please God, give me all my needs and everything like that, because that light has now run its course. So now if you think about it, the fact that we don't say the blessing for the new month on Elul for Tishrei is actually an awesome thing. Because a brand new light, a brand new light that the world has never ever seen before is coming down. It's not we're ushering the light into the next month. The light's not there yet. It's not there yet. You know? So, so this should give us a little inkling of the, uh, the enormity of the spiritual opportunity that's being presented to us on Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah in order to help shape and influence this light that's coming down for the entire world. For the entire world. Jews and non-Jews alike, by the way. It's all coming down, Rosh Hashanah. You know, I say to my, over the years, I've said to my closest non-Jewish friends, you know, Rosh Hashanah night, you know, whatever it is, give a lot of charity. You know, you're going to give charity anyway. Give it then. Give it then. Pray then. Do Use that day properly because you are included in this. You know, whether you're aware of it or not. You know, so, so make the most out of this opportunity. Um, by the way, this year it's going to be the, on Wednesday night. Is it September 3rd? Is that what it is? September 8th? Okay. So, Wednesday night. So, that's when 
that's the first night, so that's important. Yeah, yeah. New light for each month is new light. No, it's not new light. No, 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 no. Okay, so maybe I... <coughs> the new light comes down on Rosh Hashanah. And, that's, and then that light will now travel through the entire year. It's the same light, but it will sort of morph and change over the course of the year. Okay? Based on the months, based on where we're holding, based on what we're able to accept, and this, that, and the other thing. Okay? And then when the new year starts, a brand new light comes down. So it's a brand new light. So, so is that clear? Is everyone following? Okay. So, um, so that's why every month we're, we're throwing in those extra prayers just to make sure that, that the light that came down, that Rosh Hashanah, is basically we're, we're receiving it in the, in, the, in the best possible way. You know, like imagine someone gives you a, um, a, a brand new garment, right? And then you gain a little weight. So it's got to be let out a little bit. It's the same garment <laughs> or you lose a little weight. It's got to be tightened a little bit, but it's the same garment. Okay, so that would be that would be the example of the, the garment would be the new light. And then each month you're you're praying extra that 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 light should fit you, that that garment should fit you in the best, most flattering way. Right. OK. So we're still getting to this notion of joy, this 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 this. Uh, well, I hesitate to call it a new idea, but but new to me anyway. So so. Uh, sort of came to me on Chavez. So anyway, so the idea is like this. You see, I don't know how many detail to go into. Maybe I can say it quickly. Um, You see, we have to understand a foundation of all of reality is the goodness of God. And there's another thing which I must have said over dozens of times, but I, I honestly feel as though you cannot understand this world or your own life unless you understand this teaching. So, let me say it again. It won't take long. You see, people make a very, very big mistake when they, when they think about this world. They say, okay, I believe in God, and I believe God created this world. Okay, all that's good so far. And then, they have a very, very big problem which is, why is there so much bad stuff in this world? Because if God is good and God created this world, why is there so much bad stuff in the world? And it's a very good question, by the way. Right? So, so they, you can reach uh, two main mistaken conclusions. One is, God is not good, in fact. Right? Because that's why there's so much bad stuff in the world, because God is not good. Right? That would be totally incorrect. Or you could say, God is not all-powerful. God's good, but he doesn't have the power to correct all the bad stuff. That would also be completely incorrect. God is good, and God is all-powerful. So if you have God is good and God is all-powerful, how do you get a world that's got so many problems in it? Right? And the answer is actually something very surprisingly simple. The answer is, the world is not finished yet. The world is not finished yet. We were still in the process. God is still in the process of creating the world. And that is our role in the world, to be partners with God in terms of finishing and perfecting creation. That's what we're doing here. That's, a, that's everything. Like I say, 
Unless you understand this, you will not understand your own life, and you will not understand the world. Okay? So we are partners with God in terms of finishing creation, in terms of perfecting creation, and we do that through the observance of the Torah and the mitzvot. That's, that's, that's what it is. That's what the mitzvahs are. Okay? Okay. Now, now with that in mind, with that in mind, there's, there's another point which, which people need to hear again. This one we haven't made as much, but it's very important. Which is that this world is in its unfinished state. It is incumbent upon us to finish it. Let's call that work. Let's call that work. So, so we were created, basically, to finish it up. That, that requires some work. That requires challenges, sometimes tests, whatever it is. That, that's our job. Now, here's the second big mistake that people make, which is overlaps with the first mistake that people make. They look at the Garden of Eden, which was the initial point of, the initial point of creation, and they say the Garden of Eden was perfect. So you see, God did perf- create a perfect world. And it was all good until we ate from the tree of knowledge and we messed everything up. And now God is mad at us. And that's all the bad stuff that's in the world. It's God being mad at us because we ate from the tree of knowledge. But the world was perfect and it was finished. Right? Also incorrect. All incorrect. All incorrect. Okay? Let's start from the beginning. As Reb Shlomo said so brilliantly, if the Garden of Eden was so perfect, what was the snake doing there? <laughs> right? Very basic question. Ah, wait a second. Ah, it's not so perfect. Ah. What was the snake doing there? This is before we ate from the Tree of Knowledge, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's before we ate from the Tree of Knowledge the snake was there. Okay? Furthermore, there's something I think even more instructive, which is, Adam was charged with working and guarding the garden. Before we ate from the tree of knowledge, he had a job to do and work to do. And by the way, that's a, that's, the sages say that those two commandments that he had, a positive and a negative commandment, was all contained all 613 commandments. That's a, all, that, that was a, a microcosm of all the positive commandments and all the negative commandments in the Torah. So basically, in those two actions, he had the entire Torah that he had to perform. Okay? In his own way, under those circumstances. This is before the revelation of the Torah at Mount Sinai, obviously. So, go ahead. To, to work and tend the garden, basically. So, so, um, so what that means exactly is, is another point. But the, the main thing is that, is that he had a job to do. He had work to do before the eating from the, from the tree of knowledge. Okay, so let's just reset the scene because it's very important that people remove from their mind this false idea that God created a perfect world that we messed up. Part of that misunderstanding comes from the notion that the Garden of Eden was perfect before we messed it up, that the world actually was completed. It was never completed because if it was completed, why would Adam have this job to do? So, so from this you see something very significant, which is that, you see, people think of the Garden of Eden as paradise. 
And they think of paradise as the ultimate vacation getaway. This is, as, this is how we're conditioned to think of paradise. But you see what paradise, quote-unquote, or the Garden of Eden was, quote-unquote, was the ideal work environment. The ideal work environment. That's what it was from the beginning, okay? So work was always incumbent upon us from the very outset. And now, had we, we only had a few hours, because men and women were created Arab Shabbos, just a few hours before Shabbos was supposed to come. Had we kept it together and just kind of followed and done what we were supposed to do, we would have gone into that first Shabbos, and that would have been the end of history. Right? That would have been the perfection of the world. In fact, something that came to me one time, one of my favorite Torahs actually, is... We have something called, we have a mitzvah in the Torah called Hashavas Aveda, okay? Which means returning a lost object. But if you actually look at the letters themselves and you read it very literally, it's Hashabat Aveda, which can be translated as the lost Shabbos or returning the lost Shabbos. You see, because that first Shabbos was supposed to be the perfection of of the world. And it's, it was lost, so to speak. And that's kind of what we're doing. We're returning that Shabbos. And in fact, Rabbi Green said very amazingly that all of human history is just the lengthening of Erev Shabbos, of that first Erev Shabbos, of that, first, of that sixth day. We're still in that sixth day, so to speak. And we're just trying to get back to that Shabbos, to reach that Shabbos. Because the, the era of perfection, the Zmanatikun, the Messianic era, is called the Great Shabbos, the day that will be all Shabbos. Okay? Okay. So now, let's, uh, let's get back to this notion of joy again. Still kind of circling around it. So we have two words that the Gomorrah discusses in Gomorrah Megillah. One is the word Vayehi, and one is the word Vahaya. Okay? Vayehi, the Gomorrah says, when you see that word, Vayehi portends bad tidings. Okay? So, it's a kind of a foreboding type word. Vahaya, the opposite. Very positive. Good things are going to happen. Vahaya. Okay? Now, if you take Hashem's name, I did an analysis of this, and again, this is my, my analysis. I say that, by the way, this my analysis, or this thought came to me, just so you know, so I'm translating my little idiosyncratic things, so you understand what I'm doing. I have a very specific agenda when I'm saying that, by the way. I, I, I'm very careful to credit all sources. And, and so what I'm doing is I'm crediting myself as the source for this teaching. But that's my way of doing it in a nice way. Okay. So anyway, so, um, so, so the difference between Vayahi and Vahaya is, you see, Hashem's holiest name is, we call it the yud ke vav ke. It's the letters Yud and He and Vav and He. Okay? Now, amazingly, the letters for Vayahi and Vahaya, one which portends good and one which portends not so much, Right? Both of those words are composed exclusively of the letters of God's name. Vayahi is Vav, Yud, He, Yud. 
You see, it's got the letters of the Yud and the He and the Vav and the He in it. Vahaya is spelled Vav, He, Yud, He. You see, they're exclusively spelled out of the fabric, so to speak, of Hashem's name. Okay? But there's a difference between these two words. Vayahi, which portends something negative, has two Yuds and only one He. Alright? So now let's try to understand why there's something negative there. Because if it's made out of the fabric of Hashem's name, the letters of Hashem's name, then how could there be anything bad in it, right? Ah, but you see that the recipe, so to speak, has been tinkered with. Vahaya, which portends something good, it's, it's the exact combination, the exact letters of Hashem's name. They're just in a different sequence, okay? Whereas Vayahi, there's been an alteration. One of the haze has, has dropped out and a yud has been added. So, now, with this we can understand something as far-reaching as the apocalypse itself. I'm actually being serious. <laughs> so, um, so, so, Vayahi, you see, if you, whenever one should think of the name of Hashem, for teaching purposes, I think that one should always imagine it as a ladder with the yud on top and underneath it, the he, and underneath that, the vav, and underneath that, the he. And the yud is that, on top, is that emanation of ultimate light. Ultimate light. And then it filters through. The letter he stands for a vessel. I heard from Reb Shlomo, and it's in other teachings as well. The letter he is a vessel. So, 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 so in the properly proportioned revelation of godliness, you have that one yud, which is that source of light, and you have two haze, two vessels, in order to hold the light. Because, as you can imagine, there's a lot of light. Okay. So the word Vahaya has that balance. One yud and two haze. And that portends good things. Okay. But what about Vayahi? Two yuds and one hay. In other words, there isn't enough vessels to hold all the light. And that's the negativity as we experience it in our lives. There's too much light and not enough vessels to hold the light. You see, the blessings are coming down. The blessings don't stop coming down. But the question is, do we have the vessels to hold the light? You see? So... So, what is the apocalypse? What is Gogumagog? What is that? What is that? So, it came to me that basically what that is, because this apocalyptic war, as the, you know, as it's sort of translated in, in, in secular understanding, this apocalyptic war is followed by, you know, the arrival of Mashiach and the perfection of the world and the resurrection of the dead. And all these wonderful things happen after this quote-unquote apocalyptic war. Right? So you see, so, so what's the correlation between it? You know? It's like one wild night out before, you know, before getting married. You know what I'm saying? Like, what is the... What, how do you understand the correlation between this war, which is ultimately destructive, and then the perfection of reality? Like, it seems like the opposites. But if you know the teaching that we just said, then you go, okay, it makes perfect sense. In other words... When it comes to the perfection of the world, there are two ways that it can come. As they say in talk shows, 
We can do this the hard way or we can do this the easy way, right? The easy way is if we refine ourselves and if we take on the, 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 the divine pathways that the mitzvahs are, we create vessels in order to hold the light. And then the transition into the next era, the era of perfection, goes very smoothly. But if we, but there's a calendar cutoff day where God says, look, you're partners with me in terms of perfecting the world. And that's what it's going to be. And in the initial plan, it was only going to be a several hour process. Right? Because Adam and Chava are created right before the first Shabbos and we were going to go into the first Shabbos. That was it. So really, the initial conception of the plan was only a few hours long. All right, now it's thousands of years. But God says there's a cutoff time. At a certain point, I'm perfecting the world, whether you're ready or not. Right? At a certain point. At that point, there's going to be such, if we're not ready for it, there's going to be such a revelation of light and no vessels to hold it, we will experience that as the quote-unquote Apocalypse, the, the war of Gogu Magog. We won't have the vessels to all that light. And then everything kicks in and goes back to, you know, the ultimate perfection and, 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 and resurrection of the dead and everything like that. So the question is, do we have vessels to hold the light? This is, this is what we have to make in our own lives. You know, by the way, just to think of this, just to make this very personal and very specific to each one of us in our own lives right now. You see, what's the difference between all of us have a share in the next world? The, the sages say one of the reasons why, um, and the righteous of the other nations as well, which is an amazing, an amazing, you know, uh, recommendation for the truth of Torah and the truth of Judaism, by the way. Because how can God create billions of people and assign billions of them to hell? Because they don't accept this particular belief, which is, you know has its issues, to say the least. Um, so, um, so, how can God be so vindictive? Right? It's, it doesn't make any sense. You know, with, with all apologies to, to people, believing people of other religions. It makes no sense whatsoever. And Torah says the opposite. Torah says that the righteous of all of the nations have a share in the next world. Like, like, and they call this, I, I've heard it referred to, and I like it because it's very fancy and smart sounding, the doctrine of exclusivity. <laughs> right? Like, Judaism is a very open, beautiful understanding of this. It's, it's not exclusive in that way. It isn't. It isn't. But we have, we have, for the nations of the world, we have seven mitzvahs. They're called the Sheva Mitzvahs B'nai Noach. The seven mitzvahs of the children of Noah, of Noah, which is incumbent upon everyone. And it's very important that, they, that, 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 that people who are members of the nations of the world observe this. And there are tons of websites, some better than others, by the way, and, and several books, some better than others, that are written on, on this topic. And it's a growing movement around the world, by the way. Everyone should know, like in the South, in America, there, there are B'nai Noah communities popping up all over the place. It's really interesting. It's really, really interesting. Um, anyway, so, so, so the idea of Vahaya is that this energy 
is very balanced. Oh, I'm sorry. What I wanted to say was talk about it in our own lives. Okay? So, let's say you've got two people. Both of them have a share in the next world. Okay? But one person is going to this awesome place in heaven. The other person is in heaven, but it's, you know, it's, 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 it's not as awesome as the other person's place in heaven. Right? Because we have very much... We have very much like levels of heaven. Okay? So that's that's very important to understand. Now, what and by the way, even the worst seats in heaven are fantastic. So everyone should know that. There are no bad seats in heaven. <laughs> so and and the sages say that if you take all of the pleasures that you experienced in your lifetime and experience all of that ecstatic pleasure at once, it can't compare to one moment in the next world. Okay? So, so it's good. Even the lowest level of it is, is awesomely amazing. Okay? But then imagine what the more advanced levels of, are. I mean, then that's like, the mind can't hold it. It's just far out, right? Okay. But I'm, I'm trying to make a point here about vessels. You see, what's the difference between someone who's got sort of like the, kind of like, you know, when I was growing up in New York City, we had Madison Square Garden, so the, 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 the worst seats were known as the blue seats, because they had different, different colors, you know, depending on how much you paid. So the blue seats, those were at the top of Madison Square Garden, also known as the nosebleed seats, those were the worst seats. So even someone who has... So what's the difference between someone who has the blue seats in heaven, so to speak, and, 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 and someone else who's, got, who's on the floor, so to speak, right? So, how, how, how many vessels did they construct during their lifetime in order to hold the light? Do you understand? If I, if I did... Five mitzvahs. And by the way, I, I started to say this, but I didn't complete the thought. The sages say that one of the reasons why there's so many mitzvahs in the Torah is so that no one can get through life without doing something right. If you try not to do something right, you will not succeed. I mean, there are just so many opportunities to do something right. You can't go, go through life without doing something right, basically. Okay? Which is why the sages can say that every Jew has a share in the world to come. Because try and get through life without doing something right. It's impossible, literally impossible. Okay? But someone who's done, and I'm just making up this number just for, for, uh, just for clarity's sake. Let's say someone did one thing right. So they have one vessel. One bucket, if you will. Right? One bucket. And they get to the next world, and what they're experiencing of the next world is one vessels worth because that's what they've constructed in terms of their ability to hold the light now imagine another person has tens of thousands millions millions and millions of vessels each one of those things is holding another revelation of light imagine what they're experiencing do you understand so there's 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 a direct correlation between, it's not a question of favoritism. Oh, God liked you more, so you get... It's, what are you doing in terms of constructing 
vessels to hold the light for the next world. And so I say, so the reason why I'm bringing this up is that you see that all of us are going through this constructing of vessels in our own personal life, and we'll experience it in the next world. And the world itself, human civilization, is going through a mass constructing of vessels in order to hold the, 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 the light of ultimate fixing of perfection that's going to happen to the world itself in the here and now. You see? So there's, there's this parallel constructing of vessels that's going on. Each of us in our own personal lives, and then human civilization as we travel toward the Zmanatikun, the era of perfection. Okay, so now, still haven't let go of this idea of, of this approach to joy, this new approach to joy, and we'll start to wrap it up now. So if you remember, a few minutes back, we gave a contrast between two words, vayihi, which has two yuds, tremendous revelation of light, and only one hey. doesn't have the vessels to hold the light. So in other words, the bad thing is it's not that it's bad inherently. It's just that we can't, we don't have the means to receive them in a, in a constructive, practical way. That's the word vayihi. Okay, now this being, this being one of the main headquarters of the negative consequences, right? Where God warns us, you know, if you combine this and that, it's not that he's waiting to zap us or that he wants to punish us, but he's alerting us that if you do this or if you don't do that, you're going to be combining the forces and the energies of reality in a negative way with negative consequences, right? What word, if this Parsha was going to start with one word, what word do you think it would start with? So, hopefully, you would guess Vayahi, right? Because that seems to be this sort of like explosive, erratic, astray energy that's happening in this Parsha, that's being described in great detail, right? Amazingly, 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 the first word of this Parsha is Vahaya, which is the perfect organizational balance of light and vessels. And the first word of the Parsha always dictates the entire tone of the entire Parsha. So amazingly, we start this Parsha with the word Vahaya, now let's get a little bit more grounded and talk about the exact context of this Vahaya at the beginning of the Parsha. What's it talking about? It says, you know something? Hashem is promising us we're going to go into the land. Right? God is actually going to take us into the land of Israel, which we hadn't gotten into, by the way, when the Torah was written. It's an amazing thing. You know, when you talk about uh, prophetic fulfillments, like the like that things have been prophesied and then they happen, because it's so basic to us, we don't actually give sufficient credit to the enormity of the fact that Moshe said on behalf of God, I'm taking you into the land of Israel, and we actually got into the land of Israel. You know, we kind of take that for granted. But remember, all of this was written before we got into the land. So that was an amazing fulfillment of a prophecy, you know, not to be shortchanged or taken for granted. We actually got into the land which was no small thing. It's millions of people. So, so God says, Baha'ya, Baha'ya, you're going to get lots of fruit. You know, there's going to be lots of produce. Now listen to the word. I'm using it with great intention right now. Take a vessel. Take a vessel 
and put your first fruits into this vessel. Right? So Vahaya is talking about making a vessel. Making a vessel for all of the good things, for all of the fruit. And you bring them to the holy temple. Right? And we said also, remember that the Rabbi Wilson brings it down, that the gematria for Beis Hamigdash, holy temple, is Rosh Hashanah. So we, we're taking all of our blessings for the year, we're putting them in a vessel, and we're bringing them into Rosh Hashanah. All the good things that have happened, okay? But now listen. You see, Vahaya, we said, means good things are going to happen. And Vahaya, we said, means to have vessels for the light. And this is what joy does, because this Parsha talks about the importance of joy. And right in the beginning of the Parsha, chapter 26, verse 11, it says, You shall be glad with all the goodness that God your God has given you, and your household, and you and the Levite, and the proselyte who is in your midst. Right? So, so, so God is telling us something very, very important, that joy is a vessel. Joy, joy gives you the ability to organize and to clarify all of the chaotic energies in your life. That light which has no vessel, if you want to make a vessel for the light, joy is the ultimate vessel. Joy and joy and shalom, joy and peace, by the way, will overlap because shalom, peace, will stem from joy. But to get to a place of peace, the avenue, the divine highway to travel down is joy. Now, let me give you a few examples, okay? The example that I heard one time from Gedalia Fleer was, imagine that you're at, uh, you're at this event and you, your daughter's wedding and you cut your finger and your finger's bleeding. Well, you're at your daughter's wedding. Like, okay, so my finger's bleeding. Like, you know, nishkafelach, as they say. Like, it's no, it's, it's, it's not such a big deal. My daughter's getting married. I'm at her wedding. This is great. Like, okay, so my finger's bleeding, you know. So what? You see, that's, that's the simcha, the joy of the moment, the vahaya, the vessels, are such that you're able to, you see, you see, it's more than that. Let me, let me just make sure we're communicating. Vahaya, we said, are all the letters of Hashem's name. Okay? It's the exact name of Hashem, the yud kei vav just rearranged. But it's the exact letters. You see, when one has this, 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 this feeling of simcha, they're able to expand their consciousness in a godly way to encompass everything. You have a broad, expansive view of everything. That's the reason why your bloody finger with maybe a shard of glass in it, just to get a little more like, complicated, isn't that big a deal. Because you're seeing the entire picture. Right? Your enemy walks into your simcha. You bring him into the dance. Because what do you care? So he did X or Y, whatever it is. Yeah, this is a time of extreme joy. So you have this wonderful perspective that joy gives you. And it, it, it allows you to organize and clarify all the different chaotic energies in your life. 
because you now see the whole world for what it is, which is a positive experience, right? And you're participating in the positiveness of it. And that gives you a vessel in order to hold the good things. Now, I'm just going to end on this one point, which is, which is, you know, I was kind of meditating on this word, Baha'ya. It's really an awesome word. Vav, he, yud, and he. And, uh, which means positive things, you know, are going to happen. And uh, all of a sudden it hit me, you know, something, every month of the year, there are 12 months in the year, every month in the year has a different permutation, a different combination of the yud Vavke of Hashem's name. So all of a sudden it hit me, what is, that means that Vahaya, because it's the exact letters of Hashem's name just rearranged, must correlate with one of the months of the year. So I checked, and it's so awesome, because it's the month of Tishrei. Vahaya correlates with the month of Tishrei, which is beautiful on so many different levels. But just to tell you, like I said, the Chachamim, the sages, fixed that this Parsha should be with the new year, with Rosh Hashanah. And of course, Rosh Hashanah is the first day of the month of the Jewish month of Tishrei. And Vahaya is the combination for the month of Tishrei. And it is that positive thing. And it is that vessel for the light that we're talking about. So you see the Chachamim, because they could have assigned any combination to Tishrei. Right? But the fact that they assign this word, Vahaya for Tishrei, is so beautiful and so far-reaching. And it shows such an optimistic vision for what the future is according to the Torah. Because Vahaya means good things are going to happen. And what's happening on Rosh Hashanah? The new light is coming down. The year is coming. We're coming one step closer to the perfection of the world. That's the ultimate embodiment of Vahaya. It's the ultimate optimism. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. So Hashem should bless us that we should be able to make through joy vessels for the light in all of our individual lives and as a globally as a civilization so that we can make the transition to perfection and it should give Hashem the extreme nachas ruach, the extreme pleasure that, that He so richly deserves. Because, you know something, as much as it's good for us to have good things and all that is great, but don't you want God to have good things too? <laughs> right? I mean, really, really. Okay.